That's a clown question, bro. Hey, what's up on you? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Gianta. On the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing great today. It looks like we're getting baseball in 2020. Fingers crossed. There is an agreement, right? Manfred implemented a 60-game season, and the Players Union agreed to it. And it looks like they're going to be reporting on July 1st, season starting on Barry Bonds' birthday, July 24th. Yes, on Barry Bonds' 56th birthday. And, uh, right. you know, if, if anything, I'm just glad – you know, all these negotiations are over. We've been, we've talked about them since like episode 38. Too many. Too I mean, many. it's been four or five weeks yeah. of talking about this. And now, you know, old, old Bobby Manfred stepped in after the, uh, after the uh, players voted against the 60 game, pro- 60 game proposal and it's going to be a 60-game season anyway. But now, as, as I have learned, uh, mostly from the internet and you as well, yeah. is uh, they get to file a grievance now, which get, gives them a little more power in future you know, negotiations, especially with the CBA uh, coming great. to a close at the end of 2021. Yeah, so you know, there's been a lot of, of different sort of opinions on here. You know, the players obviously did the when and where thing and they proceeded to reject the owner's offer, which a lot of people saw as like the players contradicting themselves. And it definitely could have been interpreted that way for sure. But I think the, that the fact that the thing that a lot of people are missing is that the season that the owners offer is virtually the same thing that Manfred is implementing and with the players' ability to get the grievance. And when they said, tell us when and where, they literally meant Rob Manfred, just tell us where to go. Don't give us anything to agree or disagree upon. Just do it. Get it out of the way so we don't have to worry about these negotiations anymore. They did want another offer in front of them that they were just going to reject because it was the same thing as every other, every other offer that was put there. Yeah, it was definitely an odd, uh, odd way of communicating that. Yeah. Um, had to kind of- I, I can easily see why it gets misinterpreted, but uh, when I saw it yesterday, I was like, all right, like, there's got to be some sort of point that we're missing here. And that's what it was. Yeah, that definitely played some uh, some mind games with the, with you know a simple fan like myself. I, mm-hmm. I got I got easily confused by that. And, and so did uh, I for a little bit too. Yeah, it was a interesting way of going about things, but we're getting baseball. We're gonna get a sixty game season. Gonna be gonna be a crazy season. I'll just say that. I mean. It's, it, I mean, someone could hit 400 for real. Yeah, very much so. Very much like, so. I mean, so many single, like Barry Bonds has the single season weighted runs created plus record with 244 in 2002. That could very easily be outdone in 60 games. Uh, now I'm wondering, like, what was Hyunjin Ryu's ERA um, after 60 games? Yeah, it was probably like point, I don't know, point like nine two. Yeah, it was it he was, was on insane a run to have like the lowest ERA since they lowered the mound. Yeah, very possibly, and I mean, you know, 
obviously in terms of when we look back on this, you know, 10 years from now, we won't take whatever record is whatever. Like you can't take any individual accomplishment seriously. Like you can, you can make the world series legitimate. If you please, if you choose to, there's no way you can seriously, like, unless someone has like a really high wins above replacement, any rate statistics, you can't just take seriously. There's no way. Yeah. You could do like war per, uh, 650 plate appearances yeah. or something like that but yeah. I mean even if someone's able to get like a six six win season like that's pretty impressive for 60 games yeah that would be that would be some games yeah that would be a rate that that would be like the greatest war of all time literally yeah that would be a rate that would be on pace to be the greatest, the greatest single season of all time yeah yeah because I think Ruth has the B war record at 14.1 and the F war record at 15.0 yeah. So that would be 16. That would be on a 16 war pace. Yep. Yeah, that would be wild. That would be pretty wild. But anyway, that's what we have on the season. Pretty much, uh, pretty much a guarantee that it's going to happen now, unless yeah. something absolutely insane happens. It has come to our attention that baseball is officially back. It is currently nine oh seven. We started the, we started our show. You know, we do it all in one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started it on, or at about seven forty five. And at the time, it was like, you know, a deal's pretty much done. But now the deal is officially done. That's right. Baseball is coming back. Yes, baseball is officially Finally. back. Uh, can you, Daniel Curran, for us? Can you read uh, basically the rundown of like? the rules that are happening now well i mean all you need to know is jeff Passon. he's pretty much never wrong and the mlbp uh he said quote been waiting almost three months to type this baseball is back a schedule is in place camps open july 1st carl ravage of espn also along with Passon, saying quote the deal is done between mlbpa and mlb on health and safety protocols game on of course you know, the negotiations have already been a big, big obstacle, but you also have to battle the coronavirus that is still very much out there. And also the MLBPA tweeted, quote, all remaining issues have been resolved and players are reporting to training camps. This is the news I've been waiting to talk about on this show for months. Finally, this long, depressing offseason filled with cheating scandals, filled with bad negotiations, Everything you could possibly imagine, it is done. It is past us. We get to play some ball. We get to watch our favorite sport, break down some stats on this show. We get to talk about live baseball. Yes, finally, finally. It'll be, good. It'll be good to be talking about baseball that is happening in 2020 instead of 1920. That'll be, yes. that'll be very fun uh, for sure. Not that I don't like talking about some dead ball era baseball, but I need, I need it back in my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, heading into 2020, when, when it was like early March, I was like, we were both extremely excited to watch the whole league. I think the, the league was shaping up to be a very good season in 2020. And now and we're finally, 60 games is going to be a little questionable, but it's baseball. Yeah. And if any, if anything, it'll make, you know, maybe the National League West race a little more fun. Yeah, the Dodgers might only win by four games. Yeah, maybe. Or, uh, you know, American, American League East maybe, even though, you know, the Rays have a shot. Maybe the Red Sox have a shot. I don't know. 
We'll see. Maybe the Blue Jays have a shot. Maybe they do. I mean, it's only a couple good months. It's all you need. That can anyone can do that. Yeah, and with I can't wait for the Orioles Marlins World Series this year. <laughs> yeah, it'll be uh, yeah the it'll be hilarious to see. Game one, you got uh, you got Jose Urania versus uh, who, who even pitches for the Orioles? I the first person I thought of was Dylan Bundy. But he's yeah, he's on the Angels. But he's on the Angels. <laughs> um, please hold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're so we're so out of it now. We, yeah, we don't even know Orioles starters, but I don't think we did before anyway. Uh, Wade LeBlanc is on the Orioles. Sean Armstrong is on the Orioles. John, oh, they got John Means. Duh, John Means. Oh God, that's embarrassing. How John Means. He was like, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I know you're a very good pitcher. You were an all-star last year. You have a great story of how you got up to the majors. I apologize. It is my fault. How can I forget uh, you with your 360 ERA last year? I I brought it up, so I think it's ultimately my fault. I think when I when I create a premise, I have to have something to to back it up. And yep. you know, I, I apologize to, to John Means yep. and his family. I mean, I know they they were probably grieving over that for for a minute or so yep. but any, anyway the, the point of this is baseball is back yes sir in, in a month we are going to be talking you know we'll, we'll probably have like a season preview show also and then and then we'll like an, our, a second season preview show yeah well we've already done division previews which we, we should we should run down our division people to watch for again just real quick um yeah so we sure. did back in like I think I still have all that in my notes. So, yeah, we have all those uh, prep sheets still uh, still on yep. on log. Yep, I do have it. Also, there is going to be a trade deadline on August thirty first. So that's one month. <laughs> like opening day is hot stove season. Someone can get traded on the second day of the year. Yeah, this this is going to be absolutely insane. But yeah. I'm here for I it. Really liked Matthew Boyd's opening day start for Detroit, so they're going to trade for him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's gonna be wild for sure. Yeah, but anyway, baseball is back. We're happy to we're happy to report it to to everybody. Um and um back to uh, <laughs> right on to Hannes Wagner talk. We're gonna yeah. be talking about Hannes Wagner, but that's still a month from now. We're still doing history. We're gonna be doing. We're definitely doing history through the end of this off season and we might do it during the season we might just uh put it on hold until the winter but that's a that's a conversation for something in three or four weeks but today we have Hannes Wagner I have decided to put a uh jersey over a polo shirts to have the oh there you go the famous dead ball dead ball era look uh, yeah. As you can see in in uh, Daniel's background, he's Hannes Wagner. He's got the jersey and he's got some type of collar. I don't think it's a collared shirt, but it's some weird collar connection thing, and uh, it's pretty hilarious. And you know, part this this episode is partially kind of a a love letter to dead ball era baseball and the weirdness That's of right. it, and 
how it's entirely separate from anything from 1920 on. It's a, it's a pretty fun, pretty fun era of baseball, especially when you put the World Series into it. And then, of course, exactly 100 years since it ended. Yeah, it's been 100 years since the dead ball era ended. And on the second part of episode 42, we got the 2014 Orioles, where it's basically the opposite of the dead ball era. It's home run hitters, 211 homers, right? You said? That's right. baseball. Yeah, I mean, the leader, the. <laughs> The team leaders in, in home runs in 1908 was probably about 30, maybe. That might be that might be Nelson Cruz not the entire team that year. Yeah, it's uh it's just a funny era of baseball. So we're gonna get right there into it. There's one courageous man who uh who went through the seven hundred OPS Ashola. Yep, yep. Probably Honus Wagner. Right. So Honus Wagner. He grew up, he was born as uh, Johannes Peter Wagner, and he would sometimes be referred to as Hans. In fact, um, there's, some, there's some letters that we're going to that we're going to read um, head, heading, talking about like the card and stuff where he signs off as Hans. Um, there's a video clip where he's referred to as Hans. So I feel like he was referred to as Hans Wagner, like almost his whole career. Probably in the clubhouse. Yeah, inter interestingly enough. And he was born and raised in Chartiers, Pennsylvania, which was about six miles outside of, outside of downtown Pittsburgh. So pretty convenient for him. He probably enjoyed some, some Pirates baseball uh, when he was growing up. He was also one of nine children and his parents were immigrants from Prussia, which is uh, like a German state somewhere. They spoke German and uh, had, to, had to learn the language and raise, raise their kids the American way. And Hannes Wagner uh, had, an, had an interesting genetic uh, disposition. He had bowed legs his entire, his entire uh, life and it made him look kind of awkward while playing. Kind of just made him look awkward in general. And uh, you could, there's maybe a case that it kind of held him back, which is incredible, uh, considering what he was able to accomplish his entire career. And then uh, his brother, Albert, known as Butts Wagner. I don't know where that came from, but he was known as Butts Wagner. And he was playing in a professional league called the Interstate League. And in night in, in, and in 1895, uh, when Butts' team from Steubenville, Ohio, needed more personnel, he suggested Hannes. So that's where his professional career started. And of course, you know, a lot of people know Honus Wagner for his professional baseball career. But a This Is Sports Center ad once proclaimed another profession for the man. Everybody in sports tries different promotions. We thought we'd try Old Timers Day. A lot of basketball, but first Rams go for a championship. I can't see it. I can't. Can you can you see that? Honest Wagner worked for peanuts. Literally worked for peanuts. Take Why? the hat off. It's rude. So Seattle now has a center to play with. After the trade. Break. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but probably something we should just leave the baseball. Patrick Ewing in the trade to Seattle. Never heard of him. 
So there you have it. Honus Wagner, a great baseball player in the dead ball era, but also worked for peanuts, literally worked for peanuts. Great. That's actor. right. That's right. I mean, I trust that guy. Yeah. And he was yeah. there. He saw him. I would, I would bet on it for sure. It would not surprise me. So Hannes played on five different teams in three different leagues in 1895. He was a journeyman and he hit well at every position and he played every position except catcher. And executive Ed Barrow took him to an Atlantic League uh, game in Patterson, New Jersey for the 1896 season. He played there uh, that year. He hit 313 with 25 doubles and 21 triples in Patterson in 1896. And then in 1897, steps it up even more. 375 average with a 625 slugging in 75 games in 1897. And then knowing that Wagner should be at the next playing level, Barrow uh, contacted a National League team, the Louisville, the Louisville Colonels, who had just finished in last place. And the player manager, club secretary, and club president all went to Patterson to take a look at Honus. And at first, they weren't impressed with his odd frame because, you know, Chris mentioned the, bo the bowed legs. Not great. And also, the club secretary convinced the other two to take a chance on Honus. So, Honus Wagner is officially a major leaguer uh, in that National League with the Louisville Colonels. And he made his MLB debut on July 19th, uh, 1897. He actually played center field for most of the year. And uh, this, is, this is a fun part of the dead ball era is there's, differing, uh, there's some differing numbers between baseball reference and fan graphs. That's how you so know we're going far back. That's how we know. We truly don't know what he, what he did. Yes, yes. So according to baseball reference, he hit 335 with an 843 OPS in 62 games. And according to Fangraphs, he hit 338 with an 848 OPS in 61 games. So they couldn't even get the games right, not, not to mention the, uh, the hits and the at-bats. Uh, but anyway, his uh, baseball reference war ranked second among rookies, and his Fangraphs war ranked fourth. And just to get this out of the way, all war, all wins above replacement rankings uh, will be regarding position player war um, when, when we're talking about it for, you yeah. know, in terms of his ranking, because in the dead ball era, I mean, the, the leaders in wins above replacement were usually pitchers. So yeah, the Walter Johnson's and the Christy Matthews of the world. Yeah. Getting like 17 wins above replacement. Yeah. It, it was insane. Points, of course. Yeah, it was insane. And uh, in 1897, his OPS ranked third amongst rookies, according to Baseball Reference, and second amongst rookies, according to Fangraphs. And his 19 slash 20 stolen bases, stolen bases, you could pick one, uh, that ranked second among rookies, according to both websites. Then in 1898, uh, fresh out of his rookie season. He played first base and third base most of the year. He hit 299 with a 751 OPS and 27 stolen bases. However, you know, not the most impressive, but he had 105 RBI, which ranked sixth in the league. And, uh, you know, this, this is too far back to see, you know, splits with runners in scoring position, but I'm curious as to how he was able to clean up with runners in scoring position, but can't find that out. 
because it is 1898. Yeah. Then it goes to 1899, where he played third base and right field most of the year. And according to baseball reference, back to the different statistics, according to baseball reference, he hit 341 with an 895 OPS. And according to Fangraphs, he hit 336 with an 885 OPS. Either way, he's ahead of his time. Yeah, ahead of his time for sure. And his average ranked 10th, according to baseball reference, and 11th, according to Fangraphs. His OPS ranked 7th, according to both. He had 37 stolen bases, which ranked 12th. His baseball reference war ranked 6th. His Fangraphs war ranked 7th. And after 1899, the National League shrunk from 12 teams to 8 teams, and that resulted in the disbanding of the Louisville Colonels. And the club president, Barney Dreyfus, who uh, might be a Hall of Fame executive, I mean, he, he was able to do a lot. The club president of those Louisville Colonels had anticipated the disbanding of the Colonels and, you know, several other National League teams uh, in 1899. So he had anticipated this, and he had previously bought stock in the Pittsburgh Pirates and then was able to bring the best Colonels players to Pittsburgh, almost kind of creating a super team. Mm -hmm. And Wagner was extremely happy with Dreyfus uh, for bringing him close to his hometown. You know, we mentioned he, he grew up six miles outside of downtown Pittsburgh. So now he's playing in Pittsburgh, right in the hometown, right where he wants to be. And with that, he was absolutely due to have some breakout years. And that exactly started happening in 1900. He played most of the year in right field. And in that year, he led the league in average with a 381, slugging with a 573, OPS with a 1007, doubles with 45, triples with 22, and wins above replacement on both websites. Also, it is the only season in the history of baseball with less than 20 strikeouts, 45 plus doubles, and 22 plus triples. And Chris, I, I got a pretty good feeling that's never happening again. Yeah, no, no. 162 game season, striking out 20 or less times. Yeah, get get out of there with that. No way. No shot. I wish was was Babbitt calculated back then. Um. Yeah, yeah. You know what? As you're as you're talking about 1901, 1902, right. I'll go, I'll go check it out. I'll go check bad. out that Babbitt. All right. So anyway, now we're on to 1901. He played most of the year at shortstop and right field, which is. You know, of course, the shortstop right fielder. I mean, what do you mean you don't have one of those on your major league team? He hit 353 with a 911 OPS and led the league in RBIs with 126 and stolen bases with 45. His ability to steal bases and leg out triples dubbed him the nickname the Flying Dutchman, of course. And he finished third in baseball reference war and led the league in fangraphs war for that season. Lastly, of there are of what well, he is one of three seasons of baseball history in 1901 with 45 plus stolen bases, 125 RBIs and 50 plus walks. The team went 90 and 45 and won the National League pennant. Chris, do you have a, a Babbitt update? Uh, no, they didn't start recording that until about 1908. Okay, so I mean later later on. Yeah, which is weird because it's a pretty easy I was going to say Yeah, it's just batting average on balls in play. You could Although could... Although I would guess that it, they probably didn't hard. have all the plate appearances. Well, also, you know, there's it would be hard to differentiate the inside the park home runs to the yeah, you know, over the fence homers. I feel like there were a lot of those. 
question marks. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't really tell on that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, in 1902, he has 10 appearance. He is he makes 10 plus appearances at first base, shortstop, left field, center field, and right field. This dude was the most versatile utility player the game has ever seen. Like you don't have a first base shortstop outfielder in baseball today, unless it's like I don't know Brock Holt or something. Yeah. But even then, he's hitting 330 with a league leading 857 OPS a 161 OPS plus and 159 weighted runs created plus. That means he was about 60% above the average hitter that year. He also led the league in slugging percentage with a 463, 30 doubles led the league. He had 105 runs scored and 92 RBI, as well as 42 stolen bases. All of that led the league. He also led the league in wins above replacement on both websites. The team went 103 and 36, and they won the pennant handily, by 27 and a half games, they could have played an extra month. The Pirates would have been like, yeah, we're good. And we already won anyway. Yeah, it was unbelievable what the uh, 1902 Pirates were able to do. And in 1903, it continues. Hannes Wagner, he starts consistently playing shortstop, the place he was always meant to be. He led the league in average with 355. He finished fourth in OPS with 931. And he was third in stolen bases with 46. Also led the league in wins above replacement, the old-fashioned Hannes Wagner way. And the team went 91 and 49 and won the pennant. And this is where I'm going to put Hannes Wagner to the side a little bit because you know I you know I want to get into the dead ball era and kind of the orange the origins of you know what built this game today. So I'm going to get into the origins of the World Series and. You know, first of all, it starts with the origins of the American League because, you know, there was the National League that was there from 1871 on, and there were a couple different leagues that just could not compete. There was the American Association. Uh, there were that was the main one, and that ended up disbanding in uh, the 1890s. And you know, it, it, the National League pretty much did not have any competition, but that was about to change when a man named Ben Johnson uh, really got into the world of baseball. So this is from, this is from a book. I'll, I'll find the, uh, the credits of this book. It's from a internet. It's from an internet archive. Interesting stuff there. I'll, I'll get the title later, but here's a quote, Ben Johnson. So quote says, Johnson rejected the rowdyism of the play on the field that typified the National League product in the 1890s. With only one umpire on the field for regular season games, players took advantage of every opportunity to bend the rules and even disrupt the play of their opponents. Fielders would trip base runners or hold their belts when they attempted to tag up after a fly ball. Uh, base runners, in turn, would take shortcuts home directly from second base if the umpire's attention was elsewhere. Fielders would flash mirrors into the eyes of batters and stash extra balls in the outfield grass. Unbelievable rowdiness from the if, national If you're talking with someone about the steroid era and they talk about how cheating is wrong, it's not, it, there's no place for it in baseball, just show them this article. Cheating has been going on literally since the dawn of time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. 
uh, what National League Baseball was like in the yeah. 1890s. Like, those um, people act like the, like steroids were the first time anyone ever got an unfair advantage on the baseball field. This right here is living proof. That was not even close to the beginning. Yeah, especially with, with like, <laughs> how can you – how can you not wrap your brain your brain around someone getting like a competitive edge when yeah you know getting a competitive edge has happened forever since since life began since competition was made right people have been trying to get an edge and you know when it's illegal it's, it's like are game. we not allowed to are we not allowed to have Honus Wagner be in the Hall of Fame because he took place in, in cheating with these with these things going on like do we have to end his case yeah I mean, I don't know. There's been a there's been a lot of uh, ripping down of history lately. So yeah. maybe I don't know. Maybe we do. So, and uh, another quote from this says, uh, and this is about the fans. Quote: Spectators threw beer glasses at opposing players on the field and stoned their ho- horse drawn horse drawn uh, coaches on the way to and from the ball field. By the end of the century, Johnson recognized that the deterioration of play on the field and the confusion among ownership in the national league presented a singular opportunity. He would steer his minor league directly toward major league status and in the process reform the national game. So this was a guy, Van Johnson. He saw the deterioration of the national league and there was a glimmer of light. He was like, I can take advantage of this and kind of his origin of of being a baseball executive. So after the demise of the American Association, uh, Johnson, Van Johnson was appointed the president of the revitalized Western League in 1893. And uh, that was just a, a minor league. That was, that was just a league trying to grow, not a major league yet. And the Western League emphasized the respect for the game and umpires respect for the game and umpires that the National League lacked, and this attracted more attendance. People liked kind of the order of the game, kind of a more classy game than the National League because, you know, the National League didn't have any competition, so they could really do whatever they wanted. And after the National League went from 12 to 8 teams, he saw an opportunity to make his league a major league. So as a result of the disbanding of those four National League teams. In 1900, he moved the St. Paul team from the Western League to Chicago and the Columbus team to Cleveland. And he changed the league name to the American League, you know, make it a more nationalistic uh, thing for people to get behind. And after 1900, prior to the 1901 season, Johnson actually waived the National League's player salary cap of $2,400 and brought 111 National League players to the new league, including Hall of Famers Cy Young, Nat Lajoie, John John McGraw, Ed Delahanty, Jesse Burkett, and Elmer Flick. All those stars came from the National League and they went to the American League because uh, the American League was paying a lot more money. And in 1902, and by the way, the uh, in 1901, the American League declared itself a major league. And then in 1902, uh, the American League actually outdrew the National League 
by more than 500,000 fans. So the American League was growing at an exponential rate. And due to this, the National League seeked a truce between the two leagues, which was achieved uh, so that they had basically the same rules. Everything was under the same umbrella, American, American League and National League under, the, under Major League Baseball. So that leads into... Um, that leads into kind of how the World Series originated from there. So again, from this, uh, from this book, it says, in early August, Pirates owner Barney Dreyfus challenged the Boston club to a postseason championship series. Dreyfus had appreciated the American League's forbearance in not putting a rival team in his city during the war between, between the leagues. In fact, following the Pirates' pennant win in 1902, Dreyfus had challenged the American League victor, the Philadelphia Athletics. And then another quote from there said, uh, the Philadelphia Athletics to an, ex an exhibition series and offered to allow the Athletics to add other American League All-Stars to their squad. The four-game event, which was not well publicized, went to the National Leaguers two games to one with one contest ending in a tie. In 1903, Dreyfus wrote to Killalee inviting the challenge match. The time has come, and this is uh, Dreyfus uh, writing a, a thing to um, Henry J. Killalee, the Red Sox owner. The time has come for the National League and American League to organize a World Series. It is my belief that if our clubs played a series on a best-of-nine basis, we would create great interest in baseball in our leagues and in our players. I also believe it would be a financial success. So basically how, how the World Series started, it wasn't organized by the heads of baseball. It was basically uh, the, the Pirates owner calling out the Red Sox owner, saying, let's have a best-of-nine match. Let's see what happens. So that was very interesting. And the Red Sox owner, Henry J. Killalee, first asked Van Johnson, who was the president of the American League, for the approval of the event. Uh, they worked out the details and created a best of nine series with the first three games in Boston, the next four in Pittsburgh, and the last two in Boston, if necessary. The Pirates ended up winning three of the first four games of this World Series, and Wagner, Hannes Wagner, back to Wagner, Hannes Wagner was going five for 13 with two walks, uh, a hit by pitch, and two stolen bases in those first four games where they won three of those. And also, uh, he went two for four with a walk and a hit by pitch with runners in scoring position. So he was doing well in the clutch in those first four games as well. But then games five through eight, the Pirates lost the next four games uh, and ultimately lost the World Series because of that. And Wagner, in those last four games, went 1-for-14 with a walk and went 0-for-4 with a walk with runners in scoring position. So the Pirates could not get it done in the first round. Pirates were the first team to blow a 3-1 lead. Yeah, people forget that. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. It's a shame. You know, a lot of people look at the Warriors. A lot of people look at the Indians. People forget it was the Pirates that did it first in 1903. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember the memes. Of course. 
I remember the memes and, uh, you know, people Twitter was popping off in 1903. Yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime Jeff Passan had a, had a, had a report in the 1903-04 off season. I mean, the first reply, All of his mentions were just... the, the first reply was the, don't forget the pirates blew a three, one lead. And yeah, you know, I couldn't be, I couldn't imagine being a uh, pirates fan at that time. I mean, how are they ever going to recover? I, I don't know. So, you know, after 1903, disappointment for, for Hannes Wagner and the Pirates, but he's able to recover in 1904 just fine. And this is pretty much entering the prime of his career. I mean, I know he's already leading the league in war consistently, but this is the ultimate prime of his little. career. So he led the league in 1904. He led the league in the entire quadruple slash line, uh, he slashed 349, 423, 520 for a 944 OPS. Led the league in all those. Also led the league in OPS plus with a 188 OPS plus and weighted, one, weighted runs created plus with 178. He also led the league in doubles with 44 and led the league in stolen bases with 53. I mean, how often do you lead the league in stolen bases and OPS? Probably it's uh, quite unbelievable. I mean, Ricky Henderson did it once in his career mm -hmm. uh, in 1990, but I mean that was a that was an all-time rarity. Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. So, and he leads, of course, with those numbers, he's going to lead the league in wins above replacement, and it is the only National League season ever. His 1904 season is the only National League season ever with a 340 plus average, a 100 OPS plus or better. 40-plus doubles, and 50-plus stolen bases all in one season. Only time that's ever happened in the National League. So now we're on to 1905, and he finished his second in average, second in OPS. By the way, average of 363, OPS in 932, OPS plus of 175, weighted runs created plus of 165. Finished second in all of those, finished third in stolen bases with a career high in 57. Despite not leading any of those things, he leads the MLB in war. No one in the MLB was within two B war or F war of him. And is the only National League season ever with 190 plus hits, 155 stolen bases, and 175 OPS plus or better. No one has ever done that since Honus Wagner in 1905. 50, 50. What did I say? You said 155 stolen bases. Oh, oops. <laughs> I mean, that would have been really impressive. That would have been crazy. <laughs> that would have been sweet. So we're now we're on to 1906. He leads the league in average with a 339, OPS with an 875, runs scored with 103, doubles with 38, and he's tied for first in weighted runs created plus with a 166. He finishes second in OPS plus with 168 and fourth in stolen bases with 53. And of course, he leads the league in wins above replacement on both sites. 1907 leads the entire quadruple slash line, 350, 408, 513, 920. 21, an OPS plus of 187, weighted runs created plus of 178, 38 doubles, and 61 stolen bases. All of those led the league. And of course, he led the league in war on both sides. No one once again within two B war or F war of him. And it is the only National League season ever with 61 plus stolen bases and 170 OPS plus or better. So a spectacular season from Hannes Wagner, but abruptly, abruptly, he retires. 
Hannes Wagner retires after having possibly. I mean, what more does he have to prove? What more does he have to prove? He said, he said that his body was through and that he was going to go into show business uh, post career. And a lot of people speculate that, you know, instead of what he was saying, that he was actually just holding out for more money. And if he was holding out for more money, uh, he accomplished that very well. Uh, the club president, Barney Dreyfus, pleaded him to come back after 1907, and he doubled his salary from $5,000 a year to $10,000 a year. And luckily, the Pirates were able to do that because Hannes Wagner was able to have one of the greatest seasons of all time in 1908. So I'll, ref I'll start off by saying 1908, has the lowest league average OPS since 1881 with a 602 league average OPS. Um, so, you know, anything you were able to do offensively was probably going to be impressive. And what Wagner did is unbelievable. He led the league in the entire quadruple slash line, putting up his, you know, despite a non-offensive year, he still put up crazy numbers uh, for that era. He had a 354 average 415 on base percentage, 542 slugging percentage, and a 957 OPS led the league in all those categories. Also had a 205 OPS plus, 194 weighted runs created plus. Also led the league in hits with 201, doubles with 39, triples with 19, RBI with 109, and stolen bases with 53. One of the greatest seasons ever. He led the league in wins above replacement, of course. And no one in the entire Major League Baseball was within 100 points of his OPS in 1908. And no one in Major League Baseball was within three baseball reference war. And no one in the MLB was within four Fangraphs war. He was on an entirely, he was in a different galaxy, Hannes Wagner in 1908. It is the 12th best season of all time according to both Baseball Reference War and Fangraphs War. And the only four men to have a better F-War in a season are Lou Gehrig, Rogers Hornsby, Barry Bonds, and Babe Ruth. Also, it is the best war in a season by a shortstop that ever. Still stands. still stands this 1908 season. And of course, it is the only season in baseball history with 10-plus home runs, 200-plus hits, 50-plus stolen bases, and a 200 OPS-plus or better. Good. A four-filter stat. You know, you almost feel like you're cheating a bit there. But a four-filter stat. Very impressive, nonetheless, with the home runs, hits. Who cares, who cares how, many, how many filters it has? Who cares how many filters it has? 10-plus home runs, 10-plus home runs, 200-plus hits, 50-plus stolen bases, and a 200 OPS-plus or better. No one has ever done it except... Hannes Wagner in 1908. Then we move on to 1909, where, of course, he's going to lead the entire quadruple slash line. On par. Once again, he slashes 339, 420, 489, 909. His OPS plus is 177. His weighted runs created plus is 174. Also leads the league in doubles with 39 and RBI with 100. All, you know, also a, a little thing 
it's important to mention the OPS plus and the weighted runs created plus because that's based on uh, how he was doing compared to the rest of the league. So, you know, you think 909 OPS, you know, today that would rank probably, you know, 15th in the league. But back then, I mean, it was unbelievable. And the OPS plus and weighted runs created plus, that represents uh, that for sure. So back to the 1909 season, he finished eighth in stolen bases with 35 also led the league in wins above replacement once again, and no one in the National League was within three B-War or F-War. And uh, that obviously is going to translate to some team success. So, and the Pirates were teetering on the edge for, uh, for a while after 1903. So after finishing a game after finishing a game behind the Cubs in 1908 for the National League pennant and finishing in second in the finishing in second in the National League in three of the past four seasons, you know, second out of eight teams, uh, right on the edge there. After finishing second in the National League in three of the past four seasons, the Pirates broke out in 1909 with a 110 and 42 season to win the pennant. And they're finally back in the World Series. And Hannes Wagner can get his vengeance on that World Series. Struggled struggled in 1903. Maybe he can make it up in 1909. But you also have to consider, they were facing off against a 22-year-old hotshot who outdid Hannes Wagner in the entire quadruple slash line mm -hmm. in 1909 and also had a 192 OPS+. Plus. Also in 1909, this 22-year-old hotshot, he led the entire MLB in position player wins above replacement. And that man was named Ty Cobb. And Ty Cobb facing off against... Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. You've got the two best players from each league facing off against each other for the World Series. Pretty much how it was supposed to be. The Tigers also as a team were hungry. They were hungry. They were coming off two straight World Series losses to the Cubs. They were they were like uh they were like in the Sahara. They were thirsty mm -hmm. for a World Series championship. They had won the pennant two years in a row, couldn't get that World Series trophy. And it was a very good series. The Pirates won the Pirates won game one, the Tigers won game two, the Pirates won game three. The Tigers won game four. The Pirates won game five. The Tigers won game six. And the Pirates won game seven by the tradition of trading wins and losses. The Pirates are the first to win four. And they won that game seven by the score of eight to nothing. And what what's possibly the most famous about this 1909 World Series, you know, the, the story of Wagner versus Cobb, there is a mythical story saying that Cobb called Wagner a krauthead, you know, for his German heritage, uh, while on first base and told Wagner he was going to steal second. And when Cobb attempted to steal, uh, right after calling Wagner a krauthead, Wagner laid a, laid a hard tag down on Cobb's face that caused a bloody lip and almost broken teeth. But I mean, based on stuff we've heard about Ty Cobb, that kind of just sounds like a taste of his own medicine. Yeah, that's that's pretty soft for Ty Cobb, honestly. Yeah. But there are, you know, of course, 
there's a lot of speculation on whether this actually happened or not. There are many holes in the story and personally probably wouldn't believe it. Ty Cobb was that type of dude. He was that type of dude, but uh, there, you know, when you go back to the, uh, the, the game logs, uh, Cobb's one quote unquote caught stealing of the series was when he was actually safe on an error by the first baseman. Hmm. And also the slur uh, known as Krauthead did not arise until about World War One. But maybe maybe Cobb was was early to the party of, of German slurs. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. Yeah, me neither. I think I think Cobb might have been ahead of his time in terms of being uh, a bad guy. Yeah. In terms of German slurs, I don't know. But you know, Hannes Wagner, the one of the heroes of this series. One of the reasons the Pirates were able to get that first World Series in 1909. He slashed 333. 467, 500 for a 967 OPS. Also in those seven games, had six RBI and six stolen bases. And, uh, you know, I wish I could show you some some highlights of this, of this great World Series, but there's a 45-second clip um, available of, uh, of some footage that we have from the 1909 World Series, and we got a nice commentator to go with that as well. I'm excited to show you this. Almost a quarter of a century ago, Pittsburgh was baseball batty. And why not? The hometown was battling Detroit for the world's championship of 1909. Pittsburgh and Detroit boasted some of the greatest players of all time. Here's Huey Jennings, Detroit's famous manager, knocking a few out for the boys. Babe Adams, star rookie, whose pitching won the series for Pittsburgh. On the left is Ty Cobb of Detroit with Hans Wagner of Pittsburgh, two men who made baseball history. Da Corker, Fred Clark, the Pittsburgh manager, knocks a homer in the first game of the series. No wonder Pittsburgh won the world's championship for 1909. Classic. Fantastic. Fantastic work by whoever did that. Love that. Love to see it. And uh, that was the 1909 World Series. Wagner flips the script from 1903, has a 967 OPS with six RBI and six stolen bases. And this ultimately capped off a historic full decade of elite baseball from Hannes Wagner. In the 1900s, his average season consisted of a 352, 417, 508, 925 quadruple slash line a 176 OPS plus, a 169 weighted runs created plus, 101 runs scored, 185 hits, 37 doubles, 15 triples, 96 RBI, 49 stolen bases, and an 8.6 B war and a 9.0 F war. Also in the, in the decade of the 1900s, he led an average slugging OPS, OPS plus, weighted runs created plus, runs scored, hits, doubles, RBI, stolen bases, B war, and F war. I mean, that's that's like ten categories, ten offensive categories that he led. Basically, everyone in the 1900s, pretty much everything that was important, yeah, uh, he led in in the 1900s. It was Hannes Wagner, and it was everybody else. And in fact, only Babe Ruth and Rogers Hornsby in the 20s. Have had have had a better war 
in a single decade. So not a, not a 10 year span, but a single decade, you know, 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, only Babe Ruth and Rogers Hornsby have had a better war in a single decade uh, than Han, uh, Hannes Wagner did in the 1900s. Unbelievable. That's right. So now Hannes Wagner has reached his age 35 season in 1910. But guess what? He's still doing the thing. He finished fifth in average with a 320, sixth in OPS with an 822, seventh in OPS plus with a 133, and fifth in weighted runs created plus with a 36. And he also led the league in hits with 178. He finished third in B-War, second in F-War. And if you go by technical decade, like New Era starts in 1901, 1911, 1920, only Babe Ruth, 1921, only Babe Ruth has had a single, uh, single decade war better than what Hannes Wagner did between uh, the, those years. And now we're in, in 1911, uh, between 1900 and, and, or 1901 and 1910. Now we're in 1911, and Hannes Wagner leads the league in average with a 334, OPS with a 930, and weighted runs created plus with a 155. He finishes second in OPS plus with a 156, and he led the league in war on both sites. It is the only season ever by someone aged 37 or older with 15 plus triples and 150 plus OPS or better. Or, oh, I'm sorry, 150 OPS plus or better. 1912 we're moving to now. He finishes sixth in average with a 324, third in OPS with an 891, third in OPS plus with 143, and second in weighted runs created plus with 139. And he finishes 14th in stolen bases with 26th. And of course, course once again led the league in war on both sites the only season ever by someone aged 38 or older with 20 plus triples and 20 plus stolen bases so you know you see 1912 you know he finishes he doesn't finish first in any of the categories he's not really in the top 10 in stolen bases and you know he still leads the league in war and you're like how could he possibly lead the league and wins above replacement. It was his defense. And, I, you know, I know that it was pretty much impossible to measure defensive metrics from the dead ball era because I don't think, I don't think there, was, uh, there was any math going on there besides, you know, basic, basic count and rate statistics on, on offense. But, you know, the metrics are relied on basically history and, you know, what his peers were able to – say about him so you know why did he lead the league in war uh, without leading in any offensive category in 1912 he led the league among all fielders in defensive wins above replacement and defensive runs above average and you know there's no footage of him so you have to take people's word into account into whether these statistics made sense whether he you know was able to be so elite as a defender you know at the ripe age of, of 38 so this is a quote from Hall of Famer Sam Crawford. Sam Crawford was actually the only player to have more triples than Hannes Wagner in the 1900s. A uh, quote from Sam Crawford says, Hannes Wagner could play any position. He could do everything. In fact, when I first played against him, he was an outfielder, and then he became a third baseman and later the greatest shortstop of them all. Hannes could play any position except pitcher and – be easily the best in the league at it. He was a wonderful fielder, terrific arm, very quick, 
all over the place, grabbing sure hits and turning them into outs. Another quote from, uh, from uh, Sam Crawford says, he had enormous hands, and when he scooped up the ball at shortstop, he'd grab half the infield with it. But boy, Hannes made those plays. He looked awkward doing it, not graceful like Larry, Larry Lejoie, but he could make every play Lejoie could and, and more. So he's saying he was, a better, uh, he was a better fielder than this guy, even though he looked so awkward. Mm-hmm. And a quote from John McGraw, Hall of Fame manager John McGraw, uh, said, the way, the way to get a ball past Hannes is to hit it eight feet over his head. Great respect from a, from a Hall of Fame manager. So uh, he would cut a hole. Uh, one of the things that made one of the things that made uh, Hannes Wagner's defense pretty much revolutionary for a dead ball era guy. He would cut a hole in the middle of his glove and pull out the stuffing in order to get a better feel and more hand mobility. Um, so you know. And uh, I'm going to show you, for the viewers on YouTube, a picture of a dead ball era, um, dead ball era glove. These things were like pancakes. There was no squeeze to them at, at all. As you can see, it's a uh, basically it's, just a big work glove. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a gardening glove almost. Yeah, with with a little more padding. There's pretty much no squeeze to them so Hannes Wagner he would take take the um take the stuffing out of the middle and basically he would get more mobility with the glove um and that's probably why he was able to be such a defensive revolutionary so you know when we talk about when when you look at you know Hannes Wagner's defensive metrics and you're like how could they possibly get these defensive metrics you have to take people's words into account and it's by by these compliments from you know Sam Crawford and John McGraw, I think it's very conclusive that he was probably probably the best defender of, of his time, and he probably earned those defensive metrics. So now he is just writing out the rest of his career. Uh, in 1913, he finishes 10th in average with a 300, has a 734 OPS and a 113 OPS plus, a 112 weighted runs created plus to go along with that. And he was outside the top three in NL wins above replacement. And for the first time since 1899, that is a 13-year streak of being in the top three in wins above replacement. And then in 1914, on June 9th, he became the second member of the 3,000 hit club. He hit 252 with a 634 OPS, a 93 OPS plus, and 92 weighted runs created plus the whole season. So that leads into Hannes Wagner's 1915, which, you know, was he was redefining uh, what a guy could do in his age, you know, 41 season or older. He hit 274 with a 747 OPS. He also had a 127 OPS plus, which ranked ninth in the league. And his 125 weighted runs created plus was tied for eighth in the league. He ranked fourth in baseball reference war and third in F war as a guy in his age 41 season. Unbelievable. And it is the only season ever by someone in their age 41 season or older with 20 plus stolen bases and a 125 OPS plus or better. And his 1915 is the highest single season wins above replacement produced by a player in their age 41 season or older. 
And then he kind of rides it out in 1916 and 1917. Uh, he finished eighth in average with a 287 average. He had a 721 OPS, 121 OPS plus, and 121 weighted runs created plus. Still a very above average hitter at the age of 42 in 1916. And then in 1917, uh, definitely takes a step down. He hits 265 with a 642 OPS, has a 95 OPS plus, and 97 weighted runs created plus. So still almost average uh, in his age 43 season in 1917. And uh, those were all in 74 games in that 1917 season. And after the manager of the Pirates was fired during the 1917 uh, during the 1917 season, uh, Wagner actually took on the role of manager for five games and uh, didn't have the best luck there. He went one and four as a manager in 1917. And then he told the club president, Barney Dreyfus, that the manager job was just not for Hannes Wagner. And uh, after that 1917 season, he retired uh, at the age of 43. And that was that was Hannes Wagner's career. So now Hannes Wagner has moved into the post-career of his life. He made speeches urging Americans to buy Liberty Bonds for World War One. So, you know, he was used a lot for marketing. He was used to get a message out there that was important. And, you know, he sort of built up that stardom in Pittsburgh where he was able to do that. He also had jobs as a state fish, as the state fish commissioner and sergeant at arms of the Pennsylvania legislature. And as well as buying properties in Carnegie, Pennsylvania and made a decent rental income despite not playing baseball anymore. He coached the Carnegie High School football team and the Carnegie Institute of Technology basketball and baseball teams. So he was kind of a three sport coach athlete, if you will, of course, you know, maybe the most helpful at baseball, but guy knew about football and basketball too. And he started a sporting goods store bearing his name that had weak phrases and eventually shut down due to the Great Depression. <clears throat> All right, that's getting, that's getting in there. Um, <laughs> the Pirates gave him a coaching job after the, in 1933 after hearing Wagner and his family were struggling with the Depression. And in the, in the inaugural Hall of Fame election year, Wagner was introduced into the Hall of Fame with a 95.1% of the vote, including Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Walter Johnson, and Christy Matthewson being the people he went in with. That's, of course, the very first baseball Hall of Fame class ever. And he died on December 6th, 1955, in his Carnegie home at the age of, 30, of 81. So, you know, that's, that's Hannes Wagner's life. You wonder, you know, where his legacy lies, but we haven't even mentioned something that, you know, is possibly one of the one of the more famous parts of uh, Hannes Wagner and his career. That's right. You, know, you can talk all day about the about uh, his playing days, but you can also talk about this particular thing. So, tobacco companies had started putting baseball cards in their cigarette packs. Uh, in the late 1880s to get people to buy their tobacco products. You get, you know, you get a pack of cigarettes and you get a baseball card, um, get a pack of baseball cards and uh, you're, you're good to go. And the American Tobacco Company paid Pittsburgh's most influential sports writer, John Gruber, uh, $10, which is roughly equivalent to about $300 today. And uh, they paid him for 
Hannes Wagner's photo rights after the 1909 season, after that World Series run in 1909. And Wagner was unaware of, uh, of this exchange, and he wrote this letter uh, to John Gruber. He said, quote, Dear John, I don't want my picture in cigarettes, but I don't want you to lose $10. So I'm enclosing my check for that sum, Hans Wagner. So basically he's saying, you know, I don't want, I don't want you to lose the $10. So, you know, they're going to, they're going to be, uh, they're going to make about $10 off of these cards. They're going to be able to produce these cards for the price of, of $10. So they can only make a limited amount. And the famous story of Hannes Wagner denying this, uh, this baseball card opportunity, the famous story is that he did not want to be associated with cigarette smoking, but more information has come out about him using tobacco throughout his life. And the theory is now more, you know, more popular. The theory now is that he wanted more money from the American tobacco company and, you know, wasn't satisfied with, with what he was getting already. But people also argue that even though he used tobacco, he did not want want to influence kids to do so because, you know, the target audience of baseball cards was kids. So he didn't want kids buying tobacco, which is very understandable. And this gave, so the $10 that uh, John Gruber was, was able to make here, it gave the opportunity, it gave the American Tobacco Company the opportunity to produce somewhere between 50 and 200 Hannes Wagner baseball cards. And according to, according to cardboardconnection.com, there are 57 known examples of a T206 Hannes Wagner baseball card today. So about 57. And it is known as the rarest, rarest and best baseball card available um, ever. Most rarest ever. And in 1991, uh, this is where this is where the ball really got rolling on the T206 Hannes Wagner. So in 1991, Wayne Gretzky bought a, T, a T206 Hannes Wagner card for $451,000. Which is so weird. Like, what what connection does Wayne Gretzky have with Hannes Wagner? I mean, you know, we'll we'll learn about this. This, you know. It was almost an investment. You just wanted the yeah. the, the thing to get the the car to get more value. Mm-hmm. So this led to the Professional Sports Authenticator, which was a new you know authenticating company. The Professional Sports Authenticator gave it gave it a gave, gave it an eight near mint mint rating on their ten point scale. So it was almost perfect according nice. to this authenticator. And. Uh, this particular, so this, you know, Wayne Gretzky T, T206 Hannes Wagner, you know, there are other examples of the Hannes Wagner, which we'll get into, but this one got so particularly famous because uh, it sold for $500,000 in 1995, then it sold for $640,000 in 1996, then $1.27 million in 2000. For your baseball card. For a baseball card. million dollars in 2007 and then 2.8 million dollars in 2008 all for the t206 hannes wagner baseball card because of its rarity it's it's unbelievable 
And there are theories that the edges of this particular card, you know, the one that sold for 2.8 million, uh, that the edges were cut about one sixteenth of an inch to make to make it appear more mint. So this would definitely devalue the card if, if this was true. And uh, in 2013, not the Wayne Gretzky card, but the uh, a different T206 Hannes Wagner card. This one was sold for $3.12 million in 2013. I mean, I, you know, I've there been... are baseball players out there, like Major League Baseball players getting paid less uh, than a Honus Wagner T206 card. It's especially this year. I mean, this yeah. is more than like half half the baseball players. This is yeah, like the elites. The elites are the ones that can buy this card with their yearly salary this year. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So now we're getting into the all-time ranks of Hannes Wagner's career: twenty-third all-time in RBI, tenth all-time in doubles, tenth all-time in stolen bases, eighth in hits according to BR, and ninth according to FanGraphs. So we don't really know where he ranks there. Third in triples, also. He is the he is seventh in position player B WAR and fifth in position player F WAR. First in hits, doubles, and triples, stolen bases, and WAR among shortstops. The highest career batting average for a shortstop, minimum three thousand plate appearances. His eight batting titles are tied for a National League record. He also led the league in extra base hits seven times. That is tied for the most times among all players, and he led the league in WAR eleven times. That is tied for the most of all, among all players. And he also had the highest career war during the dead ball era. So now, you know, you have the all-time ranks. You have the, the basic stats. Now we get into the fun stats, fun stats of Hannes Wagner's career. Um, one that I didn't put in the prep sheet, I'll just say, uh, from his age 36 on, for, for all players from their age 36, age 36 season on, uh, Barry Bonds ranks first in wins above replacement from Understandably. And number two is Hannes Wagner. Hannes yep. Wagner is second uh, in war for anyone playing in their age 36 season on. He just wrote it out and he was consistently very good uh, in the late stages of his career. Also, Hannes Wagner, he had 12 seasons with 30 plus doubles and 10 plus triples, though, uh, which are the most such seasons by a National League player. Uh, he had seven seasons with a 330-plus average, 45-plus stolen bases, and a 150 OPS-plus or better, which are the most such seasons by a National League player. And only three other National League players have had multiple of these seasons. Pontus Wagner had seven. Only three others had multiple, two or more. And Hannes Wagner is the only player to have 600 plus stolen bases and a 150 OPS plus or better in the National League, only play, only National League player to ever do that. And he's the only player ever, National League or American League, only player ever with 20 plus defensive wins above replacement and 80 plus offensive uh, wins above replacement. And he had 123.2 offensive wins above replacement. He was about 50 above that filter. So, that leads into uh, basically his legacy, closing closing the book on Hannes Wagner. A pleasure to talk about. Yes. Hannes Wagner, he was a good counterbalance to the controversial Ty Cobb. You know, Ty, Ty Cobb was in the American League. He was, uh, he was the good person version of Ty Cobb. 
Yeah. And, you know, Hannes, he wasn't perfect, but he wasn't, he wasn't a, a terrible I mean, guy. I mean, was like a known, you know, obviously he was a known racist and a known uh, guy who had injured people on the field intentionally. Yeah. You know, Ty, he was the, the perfect counterbalance to Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb, you got Ty Cobb in the American League. You got Hannes Wagner in the National League. You know, That's right. do, you, do you like the bad boy or do you, do you like, you know, kind of the all-American shortstop, all-around player that uh, Hannes Wagner was? And mm-hmm. Hannes Wagner, as a result, you know, partially as a result of this, he had the highest respect of his peers. You know, when, when uh, dead, ball players were, dead ball players and managers were interviewed, they always would, you know, just bend the knee for, for Hannes Wagner and deservedly so. Uh, a quote from John McGraw, uh, a Hall of Fame manager, as mentioned before. John McGraw said, he was the nearest thing to a perfect player, no matter where his manager chose to play him. And then another quote from Cobb said, you can have your Cobbs, your Lajoies, your Chases, your Bakers. That, of course, is Ty Cobb, Nap Lajoie, um, I don't know who the chase is, and then home run Baker. You can have your Cobbs, your Lajoies, your Chases, your Bakers, but I'll take Wagner as my pick of the greatest. He's not only a marvelous mechanical player, but he has the quickest baseball brain I have ever observed. And Hannes Wagner, you know, ultimately his legacy, he's possibly the face of dead ball era baseball. You know, Ty, Ty Cobb, you know, probably was the best player to play in the dead ball era, but also his his career kind of carried over into the live ball era. And, you know, as as you mentioned before, uh, Hannes Wagner had the highest wins above replacement uh, of in the dead ball era. So he was definitely the face of dead ball era baseball. And he was, you you want him to be the face. He was kind of the, yeah. the nice guy of- He was like the first person, like position player wise ever to really be ahead of his time. Yeah. He was pretty much the first big time power hitter ever. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the home runs, but yeah, but the OPSs and the weighted runs created plus, which not that that, you know, not that people knew what that was back then, but statistically speaking, no one was as powerful in the history of baseball as Hannes Wagner when he was at his peak uh, in the early 1900s. Yeah. And the the extra base hits, he led the league in extra base hits seven times. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was unbelievable. He was very ahead of his time for sure. And uh, no matter where baseball goes, you know, baseball could completely implode for whatever reason. Honest like, Wagner. No economic reasons, disagreements between owners and players. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. It could it could implode within the next one to a hundred years. It could implode, but he will always be be known for his baseball card and you know the controversy around it the value behind it you know the the t206 hannes wagner will live in history no matter what forever so uh that's hannes wagner very happy we were able to cover him you know the the dead ball era very very fun era of baseball history he was the face of it and yeah that is the end of our hannes wagner part of the episode we we hope you enjoyed uh if you're listening on, on apple podcasts or spotify and you want to watch the videos with us i know there weren't a lot today but if you want to watch the videos with us you can subscribe to the youtube channel the youtube channel is called stbnl with 
Christianta and Daniel Curran. I think Daniel just dropped out a little bit there. Still recording though, but hey. So you can subscribe there on YouTube and uh, also with Daniel not being me being here kind of throws it off. But anyway, um, we hope I kept, I don't worry. I kept it going for you. Did you finish it? No, haven't finished it yet. I, I told them to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, also, yeah, that's the end of the Hannes Wagner episode. If you want to uh, follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel underscore Curran. And make sure to give our Instagram account a follow. Pretty pretty new, relatively new. Uh, yeah. It is at STBNL podcast. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, STBNL, just like everything else. Also, we would like to thank Baseball Reference, Fangraphs, and MLB on YouTube for all their help and contributions to this video. It would not have been possible without them. Yeah, and I think I'll... I'll put a name to that book I referenced. I'll put the yes. I'll put the, the name of it in the in the video. I'm not gonna look it up, but I'll put it in the video for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, make sure to catch us on Friday where we are talking about yes. the powerful 2014 Baltimore Orioles. See you on Friday. <laughs>